welcome back to the Inklecast. This week we're going to be doing a part two of the 2000s interactive fiction scene. This is again going to be a mostly John-hosted episode. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that era of interactive fiction used character in interesting ways. I'm Tom. I'm John. And I'm Joe. So, a little bit of context. We're writing parser-based games where you type in commands, and the basic commands that everybody knows are take this thing, put this thing on top of this thing, open a thing, unlock a thing. And all of those are, they're all about the movement of small objects around a room. They're pulling and pushing things. And when people turn up, there was generally three commands that you were able to use. There was kiss the person, there was attack the person, and there was ask the person about a random keyword topic which tended to go you'd sort of ask the person about dog and they'd give you a quoted line of dialogue and if you asked them about the dog again they would repeat the same line of dialogue again so they were really just an encyclopedia of responses so within this frame i think characters in older games tended to be just puzzles they were guards you had to knock them on the head or make them fall asleep or distract them or kiss them or kiss them yeah <laughs> but every player would always type kiss guard kill guard and then ask guard about themselves like right. those would be the standard things and the game never understood the words themselves but it usually had a joke for kissing and killing um so this created another one of those opportunities that a lot of authors started to look at how could we how could we exploit this how can we make this interesting and the kind of standout example, the one that everyone really gravitated around, was Galatea, written by Emily Short, who has gone on to have a very, and is having a very long and interesting career doing interactive storytelling. But Galatea was kind of her breakthrough one. I think it was her first game. And it's uh, one room where you go to talk to an artwork who is a statue that's alive in some sense, and you use... I'm pretty sure you can kiss it and attack it, but I don't think it does much good. But it's mostly you can ask Galatea about various topics. You start off asking her about herself, and then she'll tell you a bit about where she comes from, and you can ask her about who made her and where she does, and what does she think about this, and what does she think about that. But you can also ask her about love and war and death and poetry and sort of quite abstract things. But she has a state. She has a kind of model of how she feels about you, what she thinks you're like, what she said. She never repeats herself. And within mm. about 20 to 30 moves, you will have reached some kind of narrative ending. Um, I think they are occasionally contradictory, depending on which path you go down, but they usually aren't. They're, a lot of them are very kind of unsatisfying. Galatea will get in a huff and refuse to talk to you anymore because you've asked her too many questions about something she's not happy to talk to you about. <laughs> she just doesn't like you. Um, it's not a puzzle game, but you could play it a lot and get a sense of of really affecting the inner state of this of this character, of this statue character. And it had the affordance that if it didn't make any sense, it was okay because it was just an animate statue. It wasn't a real person. But what people found when they played it was in order to play it, they had to start trying to decide how Galatea would feel about a thing that they said to her. And they would take that decision in advance of asking. So instead of saying, ask Galatea about keyword, they'd go, well, I want to ask her about the painter, but I don't think she wants to talk about the painter. Mm. So maybe I'll try and ask her, or maybe I'll tell her something about myself to try and make her like me more. And mm. people would start to strategize very gently about characters. And it was really interesting because some people just had a totally emotional experience. They're just like, look, I just love talking to a person in this mm. game. That's ne We've never done that before. Mm. And I think I would argue that really no 
games in the indie or mainstream space now uh, have approached anything like that sense of just talking to another human being. I mean, it's something that we try to do, yeah. but we don't have the freedom that uh, a party gives us. I find it really interesting that kind of um, sort of, I guess, a network model of the type of topics that you can talk to Galatea about that um, once you reach this node, then these nodes unlock, but that it, when you play it, it comes across very naturally. And it's something that we talked about with 80 Days, a model that we were thinking about at one point for the conversations, um, the more kind of simulated conversations when you're when you're chatting to various uh, yeah, passengers on the, on the trains, and yeah. that you would be able to unlock certain topics by kind of exploring this web. Yeah, that we had a kind of link system, didn't we? Yeah. So you'd talk about war and then war would link to Germany and then Germany mm. would link to this and so on. Right, so just, exactly. Yeah, and we do we do have a bit of that left in, in, yeah, in the system. But it's much but, yeah. more honed down. Exactly. It, it, didn't, it didn't really work in the way that we, yeah. we tried to build it first yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, Galatea, of course, it, it, it doesn't have a... It's not choice-based, it's all free, so it's not quite mm. a network in the same way, but okay. I think internally it basically is. Yeah, because you must um, have gates that... You know, that unlock and move the exactly. state of things. Yeah, and I know Emily said that um, she isn't going... I don't think she's released the source code for it because it's such a hideous mess. <laughs> that it's one of those things which has just been bodged together with string and blue yeah. tack to make it work. And and I think that partly lends to its charm that you never quite know yeah. if you're on a good track or yeah. not because there's no system there yeah. at all. And that was something I've always enjoyed is writing things without a system um, as much mm. as possible. So what made Galatea work? As an experience? Yeah. I think it was the subtlety of the kinds of responses that you got. It was the point where you started to realise that what she said really did depend on what you had done before and what order you did things in. And I, there were little things, like you could touch her. And if you touched her when she didn't know you, she wouldn't like it. But if you touched her when you kind of developed a bit of a rapport, it would actually make her slightly warmer to you and more open. And just that sort of consideration of the small little details of character interaction, abstracted in slightly odd ways maybe, but that all stacking up to produce different outcomes. Right. And that sense ultimately that the game was listening. I think one of the things that was interesting about it for me was that it um, it was a game where a character became quite a complex strategic problem where you didn't have very much information, which makes me sound like a paranoid schizophrenic. But, <laughs> <laughs> so that you, and you see that in a lot of other of the text games that used characters for their sort of primary models. So around the same time, maybe one year earlier, there was a game called Varicella, which I mentioned last time we talked about I, by Adam Cadre, which was a massive scheduling problem. You play as a... Italian, like 10th in line to the throne of this little petty Italian state. And you start off with a list of all the people you need to assassinate in order to become king. And that's the goal of the game is to assassinate these people. And you're wandering around a palace and you get about five hours until someone assassinates you. And all the characters are in different places and they're doing things and they have schedules and you can follow them and track them. And you can get characters to assassinate other characters for you if you can convince them to do it. And it's all just a network problem. It's fitting things together. It's, can I get that guy? Oh, no, I didn't get that guy fast enough, so he changed this, or he went there, or I used mm. this up on this person, but now I don't have it for that person. And manipulating people, luring people, almost like you might do in a game of Hitman now, really moving people around on a chessboard, but a chessboard that you're in the middle of. So it was a game you had to play 101 times to get right. It was very, very difficult. But it had that same element of using people as strategic elements in subtle ways it's a very different game from galatea it hasn't mm. it has a win condition and a fail condition for a start but it's 
a really interesting use of people as complex, interesting story objects. Right. So mm. were the characters modelled then, or were they sort of relatively deterministic? I think they were modelled, but in incredibly simple ways. They were probably just uh, fairly simple state machines in that game, where you could have someone be loyal or not loyal, and you would unlock that based on something. But it wouldn't be expressed explicitly to you, so you'd have to kind of slightly work out where they were at. Um, and then their, their actual schedules and paths through the world, those definitely were modelled. They were on clocks and you could interfere with them, and if, but if you did, they'd carry on again afterwards right. as best they could, or you could give them something else to do and they'd go off and do that. Yeah. Um, so that was the same... That was a game that I referenced directly when I was building Make It Good, which is a detective game, and that's all about um, what do other characters know. The whole gameplay is, does the wife know the piece of evidence that you found? Have you shown it to her? have you shown it to her in a context of showing it to her or have you left it somewhere where she will have seen it when she was walking through the room because then she'll feel differently about it and if it's gone that's because she might have hidden it and if she's hidden it has that put her fingerprints on it so you can use that to get fingerprints onto things which didn't otherwise have fingerprints on them so long as the person is inclined to pick them up and does but did the maid see you carrying it before you planted it on someone else in which case the maid is not going to believe that this character and that knowledge the kind of who knows what at any given time and then your goal as, as the player is to construct a case for your police inspector. You show him evidence and try and get him to do an arrest. So you have to control what he knows as well and make sure that he's out of the room when you're doing things that you shouldn't be entirely doing. <laughs> so again, that idea of treating characters strategic problems, which doesn't create a particularly human connection to them, but it does make players start to imagine what they might be thinking. And that, I think, was a really interesting thing that, that text games do anyway, because to play them, you have to really visualise the world yourself. You have to imagine it and think about what it might be like because it doesn't give you anything for free. So when you visualise it, think of an idea, try the idea and it works. Suddenly you're in that world in a way that's much richer than when you press a triangle button in an Uncharted game and they open the door because I didn't think about it. I just did what it told me to. So coming off Galatea then, was there ever a sort of technological arms race to develop more interesting real seeming people in the same way that we've seen with graphics or like basically every problem in AAA like we're always trying to one-up each other and chase yeah. this holy grail. It's something that Emily Short's been developing throughout her career actually we saw m more recently with um, Versu where they've really tried to go with a really um, really strong character modeling through AI approach which is really interesting to see as well. It, it is interesting. I, like At the time, I think that as games like Galatea and Varicella came out, people started to get like more cautious about what they released. Like the People started to make very good games, and the kind of lesser games tended to sink a lot more because they just weren't good enough anymore. There was a rising high-water mark that everyone had to kind of keep their heads above, and I remember feeling that pressure myself as a writer at the time um, but somehow it was never backed up by technology that got shared these games were always written in ad hoc ways and just bodged together they were all essentially working prototypes rather than actual systems and something that Emily's been doing is trying to develop more and more systems that she can run characters mm. off in, in Versi but I think also in, in other games that she's done and she's produced a lot of games since then, which have been you know really good successful games so she must have systems that work mm. A few of them have really released as libraries for the text game community, but I'm not sure how much they've got used. Possibly because yeah. they're very specific, possibly because they're yeah. very complicated. I, I found it really interesting what you were saying about Galatea from the point of view of um, it being produced as very hacky code or you know tied together with string and sticky tape. 
I, I think that's really interesting and something that you shouldn't necessarily be uh, too negative towards but I, because I think the more organic the structure, the more organic the outcome and the less specific, the kind of less, yeah, it's specific and systemic the output which is really interesting. I think it's really true. And I think you can see that in the design of ink, actually. That right. like, ink is all go-tos and spaghetti loops. Right, exactly. And very defensive programming. It's it's full of conditions yeah. to say, well, look, turn this off if it doesn't make sense, yeah. but not run from this system in this Right, because as way. soon as you have a very robust system, then your players will pattern match and understand exactly, exactly. what's going on. And sometimes exactly. you want systems where that is encouraged so people understand how to play. But if it's just a massive matter of having a character who reacts in interesting and unpredictable ways that feel, if not human, then certainly like animalistic and kind of... Just responsive. I mean, exactly. exactly. And it's much easier to make hacky code responsive than it is to make a system that will Mm. respond in a variety of interesting ways. Like that character physics idea that comes out, is wheeled out every couple of years by somebody. Yeah. Has never been nailed. And I'm not sure it ever will be. Exactly. And from what... Emily Short has told us about her experience of writing for Verse who it sounds like she spends a lot of the time trying to make the characters sound less systemic because there's such a strong system there that Mm. she has to override it a lot in order to give the characters character. Mm. And I think that that ultimately is probably the best model is you have a system Mm. which is interesting enough to run on its own and a system for conveniently um, overriding that that system and always being in charge of it as the the author. I think that is the right approach. Um, And from Ink's point of view, I guess we have a system that allows a very hacky approach if you want to, but it also allows you to build a system, but always allows you to kind of inject pieces of heavily authored organic content mm. yeah i hope so i mean yeah. i i think I, I can't imagine writing a full ai system in <laughs> quite yet so it sounds like these very character driven games are a far cry from the um more objective driven text adventures that they originally i guess uh, branched off from what happens to that idea of characters for characters' sake as opposed to characters with objectives? It sounds like Make It Good is a lot more objective-focused and you're using the characters more than you're just talking mm. and having a relationship. Like, I remember Facade being on my radar for a while just because real people and you're, you're not solving a problem necessarily, you're just having a conversation and there's drama happening. Mm. But I haven't seen that almost at all in the AAA space, and I don't often hear about it in interactive fiction either. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question of what you want to do, isn't it? But mm. um, for me, the the idea of making the game more objective-based was very deliberate. So um, after I played Galatea, I wrote a game called Insight, where you're being interrogated. No, you're interrogating someone for a crime. And... The idea was it was two people in a room having a conversation exactly like Galatea was and it's responsive to mood, though it's probably not as sophisticated. But you've got an objective, which is to get them to admit a piece of information so that you can win the game. Because I felt like without an objective, I wasn't sure why I was playing this thing or what I was doing. Right. Mm. Which is a bit like saying, if you're going to see a play, would you rather see a play which has a tense setup and a plot and a hook and a mystery? You know, is Macbeth going to get away with it or not? as opposed to a play in which some characters just sit and sort of shoot the shit for three hours. So, um, I, in general, I agree with you on that, 
but at the same time I still think there's scope for the kind of the artifact style um, game like because it, it's like a painting or a piece of sculpture that you look at it and it's through your own self-motivation that you should mm. explore, yeah, it, explore it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but I agree it doesn't have the intrinsic hook that entertainment ha always should have. Yeah, this is an argument we often have, isn't it? <laughs> like, I always feel like there's a hierarchy between things which have a, begin, a beginning, middle and an end and deliver a thing and leave you with something and artefacts you turn over and play with until you're done and you put them away. Mm. I always feel like that... The artifact is a prototype for the the proper experience, and I can't shake that. I, that, I feel that very, but, I mean, very it, deeply. But it doesn't mean the artifact isn't incredibly valuable. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I I actually agree with you. Like, I would always prefer the objective based experience, um, but it's I, I don't think we can entirely discount. No, artifacts. no, definitely not. But I, so I I look at something like Galatea and the way that the character works. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is powerful. Mm. What's it for? How can mm. we? How can we take this and put it in something where it will be really, really super effective? Mm. Have there been any examples then of IF games that did take Galatea and run with it in a more, I guess, objective-based way? one interesting thing is that there's been a lot of games that have tried to do similar things, like games where you're talking to someone in a car and it's all just during this car journey. And you know, Similar takes on the concept and the one that I mentioned myself, but they've never quite been as clear and as simple and as effective as Galatea. It's probably because they were less complicated and it's probably because they were less well written. But I think it's also that they fell into something of an uncanny valley at that point, that they were sort of objective games and sort of character games and people didn't quite know what they were doing anymore and where the focus was. Right. Um, and I think what really happened was that the idea of responsive characters just became assimilated into the mainstream of text mm. adventures. So from that point on, you'd have the idea that if characters turned up, they ought to be, by default, just a bit more responsive and a bit more kind of communicative and, and repeat themselves less and this kind of thing. Um, I think an emerging theme that I've noticed through all of the um, interactive fiction games that we've discussed is that almost all of them rely on replay in order to um, discover the edges of the game, whether it's talking to a character or... Um, solving a problem um, and it's I think it makes a huge difference to the game experience as to whether it's a character that you just talk to once and then you forget because I think we see a lot of responsive characters in a sense in, in games like The Walking Dead where you have some branching dialogue that can go in various different directions but then you never see the complexity behind the character because you don't see the other branches that it could have taken. Mm. Um, and so I feel like maybe some of these lessons have been absorbed into the mainstream game industry in certain pockets of games. Mm. Um, but you just, maybe sometimes you just can't really tell. I think that is definitely one of the difficulties of, of, of responsive characters is how do you communicate that they've been responsive? Because as soon as you put a stat on it, it the whole idea of making a slightly vague, complicated character breaks. Mm. So what, how do you how do you communicate that things have changed? Mm. And I, I, this is very much, yeah, very much an open problem. I mean, something like the the Telltale stuff, I, for me, is very much inspired by this kind of discussion, though. Mm. And I know that there are some people from the text game community who work <laughs> at Telltale, but yeah. how significant they've been in that process, I've mm. no idea. Mm. Mm. Um, we should probably wrap up there on our episode on a character in IF. But, um, John, do you have any final thoughts on, I guess, the whole topic before we close? <laughs> I think for me that character was and is the most interesting problem in game 
design. Like platformers are fine, physics is fine, shooting is fine, but character is is really the most significant one because it's the one that has the most mainstream appeal to to human beings in general. Why Uncharted is so popular is that people love the characters. And one of the reasons that Lara Croft has been less good than Uncharted is she's just not as cool a character to be around because she's a bit, you know, sort of difficult. Um, she's not fun in the same way. And I think finding ways for people to interact with characters is just the most interesting problem in game design at all, like through the limited interface of buttons. Right. So I, I, I like it, it's good. Oh, That's brilliant. Final thought. <laughs> well, there's a call to action then for all the aspiring interactive fiction developers. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.